Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in the Mile High City, 5,280 feet above sea level. I think I'm at maybe elevation like 52 here or something. <laughs> and now that I say that, I think we've used that joke before, so I apologize. Sorry, oh. recycled material. <laughs> but it's a whole new show, folks, so keep listening. Um, <laughs> speaking of new things, I have been making some new recipes lately. I feel like um, I'm just turning over a new leaf, and it's funny because... Um, the ones I've made this week all have to do with a slow cooker, and Jack got us, my husband, Jack, got us a slow cooker, I don't know, maybe last fall or something. And I was like, yeah, 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 another thing to take up space on the kitchen counter. And so I made a concerted effort a couple weeks ago to find good slow cooker recipes and um, found a gold mine of them on realsimple.com, and I could, mm-hmm. I guess, include the link um, on this podcast. And so last night I made this, um, delicious pulled pork tacos and then, huh? yeah. And had some cocoa in the, that you mixed up in the kind of the stew that, that, um, sauce. yeah, the sauce. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Um, that the, that the pork shoulder, I got a real laugh. I, I had John and Daphne with me when we were grocery shopping. And I said, we need to find either pork shoulder or pork butt. And John thought, you know, I'm like, John, go ask him if they have pork butt. <laughs> you oh, know, there you go. He's seven. Anytime he you say the B-U-T-T word, it's just, oh, hysterics. Just the funniest thing they've ever heard before, right? Oh, I know. And the fact that I had it written on my shopping list, he's like, no, you don't. <laughs> so um, so we got pork shoulder, not butt. And um, so, and then today before I came down here to record this, um, I... Mixed up a nice um, chicken tikka masala in the oh, slow cooker. Yeah, and um, yum. Can I come to your house for dinner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get a dollar plane ticket. <laughs> yeah, hop on a plane. Um, but it was so. But the one thing I have to say is, like, I love the ease of a slow cooker, but you still have to put this stuff in. And so, <laughs> I, I Monday it was like four o'clock. I was like, oh, no, I didn't put anything in. It's a slow cooker. That's not gonna work. So, uh, yeah. And then like today I'm going to be gone for a bunch of the midday. And I was like, if I don't get some garam masala, which this recipe called for, it's a certain type of, you know, um, Indian spice, I can't make it. And I've been to a couple of supermarkets and finally I'm like my neighbor across the street, they have very, she's a really great cook and she makes some really interesting dishes. I'm like, I bet Mary Louise will have garam masala. So we have the key to their house. I like called her. I texted her. I couldn't get in touch with her. I'm like, I'm just going over there. And so I go, oh my God. <laughs> beef, beef in the house for the garam masala. You're like, I didn't take the DVD players, the TV, the Wi-Fi, none of that. I do have to say, okay, so I only borrow really bizarre things from her. So the last time I borrowed something from her was when I made those sugar cookies that um, that we talk about a lot on the podcast, and I needed cream of tartar. And so yeah. I went I went over and I had texted her and she's totally fine with it. And but she was in a meeting and people were like, Oh, what's that text about? And she said, Oh, that was my neighbor, Sarah Bow and Shea. She needed to borrow some cream of tartar. And one of the women in the meeting was like, Sarah Bow and Shea? You mean like run like a mother? <laughs> 
Oh, you're famous in meetings. That's so, I'm so proud of you. I know, but then so. she was like, it was just like, how random is it? Cream of tartar. So, is, um, yeah, so, awesome. so Mary Louise not only had garam masala, she had an unopened bottle of it. I was like, sweet, I have found it. <laughs> that is that. That's a great neighbor. That's a good relationship. You want to work to keep that relationship up, Sarah. I'm right. just saying. Right. Like a good Make neighbor. Sure to give her lots of- garam masala Did- is there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you give her some cookies? I hope after you made the, you know, after you borrowed her cream of tartar. Oh please, please! The children I made, I baked one batch. Is I think it was fifty nine cookies. They were gone, gone less than twenty four hours. Wow! Yeah, wow. you can mm-hmm. buy her some flowers for a garam masala and her oh, cream of tartar. I, you know, I've lent um, them uh, recently, like a can of pump, pureed pumpkin and vanilla, and so it's 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 a reciprocal oh, relationship. It's a give and take. It's a give and take. You're, you have a whole little like Whole Foods give and take relationship going on. It there. is. And Mary Louise texted me back, and she said, "There's no need for us both to have all these eclectic spices. We just <laughs> will kind of, you know, combine our resources." That's so, nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that your your trumps mine. I mean, and that you're really ambitious with your slow cooker because mine, I am like. I mean, I, I do use mine actually quite a bit, but I don't like night after night. No, I can't do that. So, I mean, I made a big batch of uh, red lentil stew, uh, oh. which is really good on, um, oh gosh, I guess I made it Sunday. Uh-huh. And like I had it again last night, <laughs> like, you know, because it's slow cookers. I mean, it, they make like, you know, six to eight servings. It's not a small amount of food. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I froze um, because I had read in the comments of the pork um, slow cooker pulled pork. It said, oh, it freezes exceptionally well. So I slap that puppy into the um, freezer. And so then I'll have that shoulder into the freezer. (laughs) Yep. I put the butt in the freezer. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a line from Captain Underpants. (laughs) That's so funny. Just the other day, you must have heard the thing on NPR. They were talking about Captain Underpants and... Um, I did. I did. Well, yeah, the new book just came out, but Ben is obsessed with them. I mean, obsessed, like, you know, like, and he has to read them all in order. So I got him one through five for uh-huh. Christmas, you know, the, the box set. Yes. And so then we're getting the rest from the, um, the library and like we got six and seven and nine, but eight hadn't come in. So he can't oh. read nine before he gets eight. I'm just like, Oh, so you're no t- such a <laughs> <anal> little child. <laughs> oh. Well, that's John does. A, he loves the Magic Treehouse books. And so he came in um, the other evening and he said, oh, mom, I organize the Magic Treehouse books. You know, I put them in order. And I thought, oh, that's so fantastic. And I envisioned it like all on the shelf. That's so nice. You know, everything. I go in the next day. Oh, no, he had organized them on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just laid out in like three rows on Phoebe's floor. I'm like, okay, that's not what I had in mind for organizing. Um, but Captain Underpants, as long as we're talking about um, that series. So, you know, John's in second grade. Do we think we missed the boat for him reading those? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, Ben is, you know, he, he's, he's precocious. Actually, mm-hmm. let, let, yeah, let me just brag about my child, my highly gifted, talented, amazing <laughs> child right now. Nobody's okay. in a second grade reading class and he just started them. And so he's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, you oh, haven't good. missed the boat. Okay, because and he'll, I, he'll love him so much. I mean, I just love that he wants to read by himself. You yeah. know, I mean, he lies in bed and reads by himself. I mean, I mean, hallelujah. You know, <laughs> I love my children, but hallelujah. Anyway, we are going to run long on this podcast. So if you're running long today, you are lucky because, um, or if you if you grabbed it from iTunes, you're lucky because we'll we'll carry you for at least I think 40 minutes. Don't you think, Sarah? Pretty close to it. Yeah. Pretty yeah with to with it, tales yeah. of we slow cooker, to- Captain Underpants. 
And our guest, we have a guest today, and it is um, David Fitzhugh, Dr. David Fitzhugh, um, a.k.a. Dave. Um, He is um, a doctor with Allergy Partners of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which he told us um, is called, he refers to it as the southern part of heaven, and we like that description. Um, And so he specializes in allergy and immuno, uh, can't say that word, immuno, you got to say it. Immunology. There you go. Say it again one more time. Immunology, just go for it. You just gotta. <laughs> it's like when I tell people how to. When I tell people how to say your name, I'm like, it's Dimity. Just pretend you're like running down a hill, Dimity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Dave is, um, while he's not a mother runner, as you might have guessed, um, he is the dad of two young daughters. And now we're being joined by Dr. David Fitzhugh. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, look forward to the conversation. Okay, now some people say they're allergic to running, um, but um, we don't <gasps> think. That, <laughs> cue the laugh track. Um, so we don't we don't think that's true. But but on our Facebook page, there are we pretty often get questions about women complaining about getting a rash on various parts of their bodies. Usually, they're like chest, neck, face after running in the cold. So is this mm-hmm. an allergic reaction of some sort, or like what is it? What can they do about it? Sure. Um, it's probably not an allergic reaction per se. Um, typically, when we see rash like that that comes from running or any vigorous physical exercise, um, it's mostly a blood flow phenomenon. So when you run, as you guys well know, you're exercising vigorously and uh, your blood is flowing much much more rapidly. And you know, it tends to be just a vascular phenomenon. It sometimes may itch. Um, rarely would it be you know hives that sort of thing. Um, but it's nothing. It's very, it's very doubtful that's anything going on outdoors, anything like that. Um, all that said, it is still um, likely mediated by the same things that cause hives and other rashes, and that's to say histamine. And so if someone's having big problems and it's really causing lots of issues, you, know, you could take a preemptive antihistamine of some sort. So you know, common over-the-counter ones are Allegra, Zyrtec, and Claritin, long-acting. Um, you know, in the context of running, I wouldn't recommend taking this first-generation things like Benadryl because they tend to knock most people out. Um, but <laughs> Get really it, sleepy while you're out there yes. running. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big, big runner, so I hope that's not sacrilege in this program. But, um, you know. Oh, we're, you're uh, off. You're off. Sorry. We don't want you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm done. I'm, <laughs> but, you know, if you do take Benadryl, that that could help, you know, you have a crappy run. Or, I'm sorry, a cruddy run. Um, you know, that could help explain your splits. Like, usually I'm at, you know, 10-minute miles, but today I was at 15. Blame it on the drugs, right? Now, I, I will say, if it's something more than just rash. So, we occasionally see this phenomenon of uh, exercise-induced anaphylaxis. So, this is a, mm. a different scenario. And someone who has... You know, let's say they, they, they're running vigorously for, you know, five, ten minutes and not just a little bit of rash but true hive. So a hive is a red raised itchy lesion like hives all over their body coupled with other things. So cough, wheeze, maybe nausea, vomiting, even diarrhea, God forbid, while you're running. Um, sort of bottom line, a full body reaction. That's the sort of thing we call anaphylaxis, the definition of anaphylaxis. And there is a phenomenon of exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Yeah. So One of our um, fans has that, uh, Dimity Michelle San Antonio. I was just about to say, yeah, no, and she had, I mean, she would go to the track. I mean, she, it was very scary the way that she was describing right. it. What, what should somebody do? Well, if somebody has that, they, they need to see an allergist and uh, basically make sure that there's nothing else underlying it. There's a few 
There are a few really weird, rare disorders. One in particular has to do with something called mast cells um, that couldn't underlie this and often often do, actually. Um, you know, if someone really has that phenomenon, um, they're going to have to avoid super vigorous exercise because, you know, it's, it's a life-threatening thing. And there's no way to, you know, you can't sort of preload with antihistamines and that sort of thing. And antihistamines don't ward off anaphylaxis. The only treatment for it is really epinephrine. So that's a, that's a scary uh, situation, not commonly diagnosed, but, um, but does happen overall. Mm. Yeah, um, she, she runs with an EpiPen now. And, and she should, too. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, there's a related, even kind of wackier phenomenon um, that's called food-dependent exercise-induced anaphylaxis. So mm-hmm. these are patients that don't have a food allergy per se, but they have, when they eat certain foods and then they exercise, they have this problem of full-body reaction, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. anaphylaxis, but it's only with certain foods. And the most common one tends to be wheat. It tends to be um, kids, and you might think this is more in kids that already have pre-existing food allergy, but not necessarily. These are people that, uh, and again, children usually, or adolescents that typically have never had a recognized food allergy, but all of a sudden present because they had this really weird, serious reaction uh, after exercising. And you know, when you take a good history, you realize it's only with certain foods. It's, again, not a common thing, but it happens. So, and kind of a weird thing. Good to know. Good to know. Well, so, I mean, so we get um, the rash, but then I think the biggest question, and I say we feel that, gosh, at least once a week, if not more, is about exercise-induced asthma. Um, Can you, first of all, kind of explain what that is? Sure. Sure. Exercise-induced asthma is, first of all, maybe a little bit of a misnomer, depending on who you talk to. Um, Different people will call it exercise-induced asthma or maybe exercise-induced bronchospasm may be more accurate. Um, bronchospasm just meaning, just like you might imagine, your airways are, are narrowing kind of suddenly. Um, all that said, exercise-induced uh, bronchospasm or asthma usually means you have underlying asthma, but it's typically something that has not been recognized as a really serious problem. Um, so the typical clinical scenario is the person, and this is usually children or young people only because they exercise more, right? So typically it's someone who goes out and within uh, five to 10 minutes of vigorous exercise, they start having symptoms of asthma. And the most common symptoms would, of course, be cough and wheeze and shortness of breath. Um, And then the hallmark of exercise-induced asthma or bronchospasm, whatever you want to call it, is that when you're done with the exercise, uh, the symptoms subside. Now, they won't subside immediately, and typically they'll subside in 30 minutes or so. Um, so that's kind of what it looks like. This is not the sort of person that you think was a bad asthmatic that's running around with their inhaler all the time or uh, someone who has horrible allergic asthma, you know, for instance, in the spring or the fall, um, but usually just has this problem just in the context of exercising. So, you know, the question is, do they have asthma? Yeah, they have asthma, but they have what I consider a very mild form of asthma overall. And, um, you know, if you want to talk, talk a little bit about what causes it, the, the, the thought is that it's caused by temperature changes. And Mm. when you exercise vigorously, what is happening is you're getting a lot of convection, basically, because you're breathing really hard, your airways, the ideas are supposed to be opening up because you're wanting to deliver more oxygen to the right places, your muscles, your lungs, etc. But when you do that, there's a cooling phenomenon because you're breathing so heavily. And the lungs are generally not a big, big fan of sudden inrush of cold air. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you get that, they often will clamp down kind of tightly and then cause you to cough and wheeze. Um, And it's been shown in a lot of studies that um, 
patients that have this situation, so exercise-induced asthma or bronchospasm, um, could, for instance, do well with mild exercise in the summer, but when they exercise very vigorously in the winter, particularly in northern climates, you know, when you walk outdoors from your whatever 68 or 7 degree house and you start running in temperature that's, you know, I guess in Denver it could be quite cold, right, um, that you can have this phenomenon come on quite rapidly and quite severely. Um, but yeah, the thought is it's really temperature changes that drive it overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a woman, we had um, Jessica who wrote on our Facebook page yesterday, she said that... Um, uh, she didn't have an attack while she was running, but tightness, short, shortness of breath, and her lungs hurt for an hour afterwards. So mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty common to then have your lungs yeah. hurt afterward. Yeah, I, I would say that that's very characteristic. Have a, a, a sensation of, of ache or chest tightness is, you know, the very common description. We get that all the time in asthmatics of every flavor who don't necessarily have hardcore cough wheeze all the time, but who, you know, have this phenomenon of, of kind of chest tightness, band around their chest, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think it's important to note that uh, we always say this in, in medicine in general, particularly pediatrics, and everything that wheezes is not asthma. It's important to recognize that. So um, it's everybody wants to make that diagnosis. Oh, you've got asthma, you wheeze. There's lots of things that can cause cough and wheeze in both adults and kids, but asthma is among the most common. And you know, the statistics show us that somewhere between five and ten percent of the whole population uh, in the Western world, the United States anyway, has asthma. That's a lot of people. So. While everything that coughs and wheezes definitely is not asthma, if you cough and wheeze in the context of uh, vigorous exercise, cold temperature, um, the likelihood is that it is some form of asthma or exercise-induced bronchospasm at least. Does that mean that then if women have experienced that in the past and they're relegated to the treadmill during the winter or not running in the winter, you know, God forbid? Uh, yeah, no, we want everyone running as far and as fast as they can, summer, winter, spring, fall. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I would suggest that it depends on depends on how serious it is, whether or not they have any symptoms outside of exercise and that sort of thing. Um, if you want to talk about treatment, the the typical treatment is pretty easy, um, assuming they don't have other symptoms, serious symptoms outside of the exercise situation. Um, usually, what we'll have them do is use a short acting uh, bronchodilator. Thanks to Storyworth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com slash AMR when you subscribe. That's StoryWorth.com slash AMR. So um, used to be on the market as generic albuterol now because of some changes. They're all trade names, but these are short-acting, what we call rescue inhalers, and the trade names are things like Ventolin, Pro-Air, Max-Air, those sorts of inhalers. Now, typically, we'll have patients with this problem use these preemptively. So assuming you can anticipate your exercise, so you're not suddenly on a whim going to go out and uh, run a marathon, which you usually don't. Um, assuming you can anticipate it by at least 15 or 20 minutes, we'll have them take a couple of puffs of one of these short-acting inhalers. And as long as they don't exercise super vigorously for about 15 minutes while the medicine's starting to take effect, they usually do extremely well. And they tend to have 
protection from those effects of uh, temperature change, the cough, wheeze, everything that ensues from that for something like four or six hours. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, again, not a big, big runner, but, uh, you know, I think that even a pretty crummy marathon time would be finishing within six hours, right? So um, you should probably do just fine. Um, so that would be the most typical treatment. There are other things that we could do. Um, um, in children, sometimes it's it's harder to anticipate in the sense of, you know, maybe they're going outside during – I guess recess is scheduled, but there are times when you know you might you can't necessarily anticipate going outside during a uh, a cold moment, etc. So sometimes we might consider something that's more of a acting therapy with with mild asthma in kids. I tend to use a fair amount of Singular, which is a, a pill that you take once a day, mm. and it works very well in mild asthma. Also treats nasal symptoms, um, but again, it's not something you can take preemptively because it doesn't act rapidly. So that would be the sort of thing where the child or adult, you could use it in that situation, will be needing to take every day. But you know, by and large, these patients that I see with mainly restricted to exercise-induced asthma, we tend to use this, this kind of prophylactic strategy of taking a couple of puffs of a short-acting inhaler um, just before run or vigorous exercise, that kind of thing. Is there any um, truth to like you know, I sometimes see like people with bandanas, you know, over their noses or, um, you know, or like a neck gaiter or something like that to kind of warm up the air at all. Does that help yeah. at all? Or is that kind of more of an old wives tale? Well, I, I don't think it's an old wives tale. I mean, I think, you know, intuitively there's some logic behind that. If, you know, if we know that all these studies support that it's, it's really air temperature driving a lot of this, um, it makes sense intuitively that if you're doing something to, you know, potentially mitigate this massive inrush of, of really cold air or it's, it's not only cold, by the way, I should mention it's, it's cold and dry. So those are the things that often drive this. So warm, humid air is kind of what the lungs want. So when you get cold and dry, which I guess is probably pretty common in Denver, maybe not as bad in Portland, right. um, that's really what is uh, causing the problem. So you can imagine a bandana, you know, something over your mouth or something that would uh, potentially serve to maybe a little bit of a barrier, warm the air up a little bit as it's coming across your mouth and potentially humidify it by keeping uh, some of the moisture that's already in your in your oral cavity in. That might help a little bit. But, you know, anybody with any significant degree, I, I'm doubtful that it's going to really ward off significant symptoms overall. Um, but it, it's certainly not going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and you had um, mentioned gluten earlier, um, as I recall. And so is that something that like you could talk about. I mean, certainly that's a you know, big topic, obviously, these yeah. days. Um, so, I mean, so we're not talking somebody who doesn't eat gluten for um, maybe some other reasons, but for people who are, you know, really haven't, um, you know, are can't eat gluten, um, sure. they're intolerant to it. Um, what do you suggest they do to make sure they have enough energy for their workouts? I mean, we, we hear that from women who are like, oh, you know, if I can't eat bread or pasta, like what, what should I be doing to, to fuel that long run? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, well, there, there's certainly alternative grains. Um, you know, the it it depends on it really depends on what the situation is in terms of what their intolerance is. Um, in terms of gluten, it, and again, it, it it's why you're restricting it. So there is a very big vogue right now, as as you may be aware of, of particularly athletes, and in fact, uh, some very elite athletes taking gluten out of the diet mm-hmm. um, because they think it's making them better. The, the best example I know of, I don't know if you guys follow tennis at all, tennis Novak Djokovic yeah. is, mm-hmm. is uh, yeah, I don't know if he's number one right now, but he's right up there typically with, with Federer and, and uh, other guys. But anyway, he took out gluten about two years ago and claims it's the best thing he's ever, I would say since sliced bread, that's a terrible pun, but, um, <laughs> but we like 
Oh, well, I'm right there with you. Uh, but anyway, apparently it's done wonders for his game and he can't say enough about it. That said, he does not have a wheat allergy, nor does he have celiac disease. So celiac disease is, is really uh, the gluten intolerance I think you're talking about. And mm-hmm. that's, that's an immune condition um, that people get. It is um, not a wheat allergy. I think it's important to distinguish. When we talk about Food allergy, the common things are, th- are things like uh, soy, peanut, fish, uh, shellfish, etc. Um, but real food allergy, and, and wheat is up there too. Um, true food allergy or, or the most common kind of food allergy is something that happens within minutes of eating a food. So we're talking about developing hives or lip swelling, tongue swelling, respiratory difficulties, usually on the outside of 30 minutes. Celiac disease is quite a bit different. Celiac disease is sort of a, a long-term intolerance of um, uh, some of the proteins that are in wheat and uh, some related grains. So the the bad grains in uh, celiac disease or or gluten intolerance are uh, wheat, barley, and rye. Those are the ones that you uh, can't eat overall. Um, Celiac disease is actually very common. Um, It's more common than people recognize. It's about we think it's about 1% of uh, the Caucasian population, uh, a little less common uh, in the African-American population. Um, it's under-recognized overall. And it's something I, I diagnose frequently because it can come across you – know, the classic symptoms are, are bad abdominal problems when you eat wheat. So obviously uh, pasta, pizza, bread, things like that. Um, so classically, they will have you know, terrible abdominal pain, bloating, uh, diarrhea, sometimes nausea and vomiting. But sometimes celiac disease is what we call minor celiac disease. It looks just like someone who has a lot of fatigue and tiredness, maybe some uh, other associated autoimmune problems, things to do with your uh, thyroid function, your liver function. Um, uh, sometimes they present with iron deficient anemia um, because all of these things have to do with absorption. So the bottom line is that um, celiac is, is common and commonly misdiagnosed, commonly unrecognized. Um, so this is all like a very circuitous route to your question. Is someone who right, answers the question? Um, someone who really has diagnosed celiac disease, and the, the, there's several blood tests which are very good. So unlike many of the tests we run, where there's lots of gray zones, the antibody tests for celiac are very yes/no. So you have it or you don't, and it's very straightforward. Um, someone who has it, there's only one treatment, which is restriction of uh, wheat, barley, and rye. And generally, disease goes into remission rapidly. So they have to eat safe grains. And if your question is, how can I carbo-load mm-hmm. uh, safely and get ready for a big race if I have known gluten intolerance, um, you basically have to find some safe grains. And they're all out there because gluten intolerance is so um, uh, kind of now recognized and a little bit in vogue. Um, you can buy get any of these safe grains. There's, there's a whole list of them. I can't tell all of them on the top of my head, but things like uh, – so buckwheat, amaranth, uh, sorghum, soy is usually fine too. Um, rice is typically fine too. So um, there are definitely ways to get substantial carbohydrates. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to avoid those other ones. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. I guess I digress because I have uh, a lot of interest in celiac disease and I'm, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox. I think it's underdiagnosed in, in the United States. And you can make a case actually for um, screening for this disease um, because it's actually so common. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so that's that. That's good. That's that's that's, awesome. that's really good background. I mean, because I've, I that's obviously so trendy right now, and and I it's really good you know one on one information about it. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, sure, and sure. so let's move on though to let's let's fast forward. Pretend we're not in January, and instead we're in March and April, and we're in the middle uh-huh. of pollen season. Yeah. Um, and lovely seasonal allergies. 
Well, from a yeah. business stand, from a business standpoint, that's my favorite season. So, <laughs> I, know, I know, and seasonal allergies. I feel like I'm on a you know a commercial during the CBS Evening News just saying that. If you suffer from seasonal allergies, um, so so yeah. So let's talk about that. What what can runners do? Because we we get a lot of um, comments and questions about that as well. Sure. Um, in terms of treatment and managing allergies, is that is yeah, that really yeah. I mean, is it is it just smart to run inside? Like, is it is it again like taking that antihistamine before you go? Like, what makes the most sense? Yeah, honestly, it's a hard question to answer because it, it's very individualized in terms of the patient and, and the severity of the symptoms. You know, for someone who has mild symptoms, and by that I mean the spring pollen comes out, and spring in general is, is the tree season, so that's what we're looking at. And for quick, non-digressive background, spring is the tree season, summer is the grass season, fall is typically the weed season, and Winter time is usually the low season if you're in areas that have freezes. I did training in South Florida and there's never a freeze there. So it's great for allergists. Um, <laughs> so for someone with mild symptoms, and by that I mean a little bit of nasal congestion, maybe some eye symptoms, so red, itchy eyes, maybe a few sneezes, but not otherwise terribly bothered. I, I think the oral antihistamine strategy is, is 100% fine. Um, oral antihistamines do not kick in right away. So if you're going to go to your friendly you know, CVS, write it, what have you, and buy some Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, which are the common over-the-counter ones. And by the way, these are all generic now. There's really no compelling reason to buy the brand name, in my opinion. I dentistly recommend that. Um, so cetirizine, loratadine, or faxofenadine are, are those things. Um, they're all sold um, quite, quite a bit cheaper on the generic market. Um, it, it's a perfectly fine strategy. The thing to realize is that um, they, time of onset is about a couple of hours. So really to do it in an anticipatory fashion, if you're doing like early morning runs, I know you guys are out there at 5 a.m., you know, or dark 30, pre-dawn runs, you know, are you going to get up in the middle of the night and, and take an Allegra at, at 2 a.m.? I don't think that makes much sense. So um, I would say for the person with mild to moderate symptoms, you could probably get away with a daily antihistamine during the season. Usually the it depends on where you live, how long the pollen season lasts. Um, you know, the peak season is typically somewhere between perhaps two to four weeks, depending on where you are. Um, there's still plenty of pollen in the air, but there's a peak and then it's sort of, you know, the curve slowly falls down after that. Um, for people with more severe symptoms, you know, I, obviously my recommendation is see your friendly neighborhood allergist. That's clearly the right thing to do. Um, but for people with more significant symptoms, there's, there's a number of strategies you can use. So one is uh, a nasal steroid. So the nasal steroids are – and you've seen all these advertisements on TV for um, Nasonex, Flonase are the common ones. But there's, there's a whole host of these. There's probably 10 or 11 on the market now. Um, they all work the same way. It's a class effect. So there's really no evidence that one is better than the other. The marketing strategies revolve around device delivery and things like that, how fine the mist is, stuff like that. Um, but they work by decreasing inflammation, and they clearly work much better overall in terms of than oral antihistamines. Um, the downside to the steroids, people always worry. Um, first of all, they hear the word steroid, and they're very concerned. Um, and, and I don't diminish that concern. Um, Particularly because all our listeners win the races that they enter. So, I mean, you know, they're going to get tested for steroids. <laughs> I mean, it's a big concern for us. So, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, I'm pretty sure that no one's ever documented uh, nasal steroids as a performance-enhancing drug, but maybe you could argue that if you can breathe but, better. But also, then I could meet Oprah because maybe then in like yeah, ten years I, I'll admit it to her. So, yeah, I, 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 absolutely, yes. I have a feeling Lance Armstrong has a few lawsuits coming up. But <laughs> anyway, another aside. Um, so, bottom line is, nasal steroids are, are, are clearly the mainstay of treatment for seasonal allergic rhinitis for anybody who has more than mild to moderate symptoms. Um, 
The downside is that they're not fast-acting medicines. So you really need to start them before the season happens and continue them during the duration of the season that you have problems with, be that spring, fall, etc. Um, I usually tell my patients that the first time they'll see benefit from it is probably a week into, into using it. And typically their dose depends on the spray, but typically uh, twice daily, sometimes once a day. Um, but the first benefit you see is, is about a week. And usually the peak benefit is three to four weeks. So you're not talking about something that you can use very rapidly and, and expect much benefit. And the biggest problem I have in practice is, you know, patients saying, ah, I went on this for three or four days and I threw it away because it, was, it wasn't doing anything for me. Well, you know, you didn't give it a chance. Um, it sort of has a cumulative effect in the, in the nose and ultimately tamps down this inflammation that drives all of the problems that you have with congestion, runny, drippy nose, and actually helps eye symptoms as well through some mechanisms we don't clearly understand. So for someone with mild to moderate symptoms, that's the right thing, or moderate symptoms, that's the right thing to do, um, would be sort of step two beyond just the oral antihistamine. There's a newer class of medicines in the market that are uh, nasal antihistamines, so not, not the Zyrtec and Claritin, et cetera, that are oral antihistamines, but there are nasal spray-delivered antihistamines. And these have some advantages over the uh, nasal steroids. The main advantage is that they are very fast-acting. So unlike the waiting weeks to work for the nasal steroids, uh, these act within you know, 30, 40 minutes. Um, I don't think you get quite the same absolute magnitude of benefit as you would with a nasal steroid. But for someone who doesn't want to take something every single day of, of the pollen season, for instance, and they want to take something on an as-needed basis, it's a reasonable approach to uh, utilize a, a nasal antihistamine. And these are uh, uh, things like Astapro is one, Patinase is another in terms of the trade names. So they're nice because if you sort of have a bad day, you can use them. If you're feeling okay, um, you wouldn't necessarily have to use them consistently the way you would have to use a Flonase or um, these sorts of nasal steroids. So that's another strategy. Um, can, can I interject for one second? Yes, so as long as we're talking do. about nose stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, a question came to me. Why is it your nose runs so much when you when you run. Like, is that? I sometimes think it's just like sweat going through my nose. Is that a, an idiotic well, <laughs> no it's, explanation? It's, it's not well, um, there are no sweat glands in your nose per se, so it's not sweat. Um, it is it is probably very dilute mucus overall. And why that happens again is a, is oftentimes a, a temperature phenomenon because um, your nose is opening up and you're getting lots and lots of blood flow overall. And it's stimulating all of these cells that sit there and, and, and want to produce tons and tons of mucus. Um, but it's not the sort of saying that you get – this is mostly dilute high kind of water content mm-hmm. versus you get a nasty upper respiratory tract infection getting gross yellow-green stuff. That's, you know, that's pus that's full of disgusting stuff and <laughs> cells are trying to fight the infection. So different phenomenon but not a, not a dumb question at all. So, uh-huh. Okay. All right, yeah, because we sometimes we say if we could only run as fast as our noses run, <laughs> <laughs> and we would be winning races. Then, then, then there's no there's no question about it. Right. It's been so helpful and so informative, Dave. I really, we really appreciate it, and I know our listeners will as well because uh, you know we don't want anything to sideline their running. And yeah, um, so if we can knock something else out, one more okay. excuse out, don't let them use that, then then we've done our job. Yeah. Well, and again, if someone, if that's a big, big problem, the by far and away the best class of medicines for runny, drippy stuff is these nasal antihistamines. They work absolutely great, and I have lots and lots of patients that, um, not necessarily with running, but have horrible post nasal drip, causing this kind of upper airway cough thing. And nasal antihistamines are fantastic for that. And I would suspect if it's really a big problem, I would definitely try that if if I were a big runner, and that would be a problem. So I would definitely think about that. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but thanks so much for your time today, Dave. Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.
So that was super informative. And and I have to say, I, I was sitting here gloating just a little bit because I have to say allergies and gluten allergies and asthma are one thing. That's me knocking on wood um, that I don't have to deal with in this delicate, fragile body of mine. But I, I think he's really helpful. And I know we get so many questions about it. So I, I'm hoping that some some mothers get some relief. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... We hope you come looking for us on our Facebook page, which is Run Like a Mother, the book. Our website is anothermotherrunner.com. Uh, on Twitter, she's at Dimity on the Run. I'm at SBS on the Run. And most importantly, we're together at The Mother Runner. And please look for our books on Amazon.com, Run Like a Mother, and Train Like a Mother. Many happy miles. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.